0: Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Shouse, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, and also preview what's to come
1: this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Well, Jason had the opportunity of preaching for us this last Sunday, and he took a great text from Matthew chapter 16, where we remember up earlier in this chapter is when we read about the church and Peter's great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. But right after that, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer things, going to be killed, and going to be raised on the third day. He's giving himself a prophecy about himself. And as Peter hears this, Peter begins to rebuke him, which is a fascinating statement right there. I mean, imagine any of us trying to correct Jesus. Uh, but he rebukes Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This will never happen to you. And then the Lord turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your minds on God's interests, but man's. And so from that, Jason talked about having your mind on man's interests or God's interests. The things of man, in the things of God. Great lesson. We'd really encourage you to listen to this. It's on our website. You can watch it or to listen to it. And what it does, it really shows that dual nature that we struggle with. We live in a physical world and all around us are physical things, but our interests must be on the things of God. So, Jason, why don't you give us the highlights of that list, if you will? Sure, I appreciate you walking us back through
0: that. I uh, I just leaned on the next paragraph in Matthew chapter 16, uh, where, of course, uh, we've got Jesus. Uh, telling Peter the problem is where your mind is set and so I I tried to picture okay uh, let's say you or I uh, are within earshot of all of this and I'm not sure what it means to have my mind set on the things of God versus the things of man and so we just listened in and slowly walked through Matthew 16 verses 24 through 28 where Jesus told his Disciples, if anyone would come after me, number one, let him deny himself. And I, I really think that's the first layer of okay, where's my mindset? Is it set on gratifying myself, or am I willing to deny myself and put God ahead? of me and his will ahead of my own will. But Jesus doesn't stop there, right? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And certainly that would have gotten great attention 2,000 years ago. Uh, But Jesus is unashamedly using this figure of uh, an instrument of death, and he's calling his disciples to pick up their own cross. So, okay. How do I view the cross? Is it somebody else's? Uh, you know, somebody's that I can study, maybe from a, a safe distance away. Or, in a sense, is there a cross with my name on it? Uh, but Jesus doesn't stop there. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, why do I need to be concerned with that? He says in verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That begs the question of us, even 2,000 years later as disciples, whose life is this that I have? Is it mine and only mine? Or does it belong to God? How am I going to spend my life? He moves on there to talk, uh, moves on from there to talk to us about our souls in verse 26. Whoever, uh, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know, that's a question of worth. We think of having the whole world. That's hard for us even to begin to imagine, but a soul? That's worth even more because the soul is going to go on even after this whole world has passed away. Finally, in verse 27, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. That's the language of accountability. And in verse 28, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so we've got some key words there, core ideas to discipleship, myself, the cross, Jesus, his identity, my life, my, my soul, how seriously I'm going to take accountability. And ultimately, it concludes with, I'm a part of someone's
1: kingdom, and that kingdom matters. And so <clears throat> we're faced with this balance, the things of the world or the things of man and the things of God. And, and one of the things that comes out, one of our first questions that uh, I think it's fair to ask in this lesson like this, is we live in the physical world, and there are physical demands, uh, our jobs. We have to be thinking about the things of our job, or we won't have a job. Our houses require us to be thinking about the fix-up, and the things of our house, and the cars, and, and so there's a, there's a lot of earthly thinking we have to do. And so, when we put this back into this lesson and the balance, the things of man and the things of God, how would we deal with those things?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a a great question that we could spend a lot of time talking about. As I think about, okay, where even to begin how How would Jesus answer that question? I think number one. Uh, right there in the heart of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to give us the secret or, or the key to that balance. And it's really at the, the level of our hearts. We remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 and 21, where Jesus starts talking about treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. And he makes this contrast that if All that I have is treasures on Earth. Well, uh, they are subject to getting eaten up by moths, rusting, being able to be taken away from someone, whereas treasures in heaven, thieves can't break in and steal those, moths or or rust aren't going to destroy them. But it's more than just a contrast between the the fleeting things of earth and, and eternal things in heaven. I think the key is there in Matthew 6, verse 21, where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus had a number of disciples who were very wealthy right? We we know even uh, in the context of his burial, uh, there are some very wealthy individuals who take care of a lot of those physical concerns uh, uh, of Jesus's body. But Jesus is always quick to tell people, you need to be careful about the state of your heart. Because if your heart is Firmly rooted right here in the physical, or to borrow from our sermon, the things of man. That's where I think Jesus had a problem with that rich young ruler for instance it it also makes me think of these disciples in Hebrews chapter 10 where the writer says in Hebrews 10 verse 34 you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property now That's hard for most of us to imagine Uh, our, our property being plundered and us having any sort of a positive outlook in the middle of that. But again, he gives us the secret. You knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so if my focus is simply on the things of man and the possessions that I can hold in my hands, the possessions I can see with my eyes, I'm in great danger of missing out on the better, truly abiding
1: treasures in heaven. And and I think what we're saying here is Jesus is trying to get us to see that our definition, uh, success is not measured by physical or material things. Yeah. They're measured by how God sees us. But, but God does not say, okay, don't, I don't want you ever thinking about physical things. Because in Matthew 6, where you were just right before this, when Jesus gave this example of the model prayer, in the midst of that, give us this day our daily bread. That's physical. Right. Now, and Jesus could have easily said, uh, don't worry about what you eat. And how many of his miracles, almost all his miracles, dealt with the healing of the sick, the crippled, the blind, the deaf, the demon-possessed. Those were all physical things. Jesus was taking care of physical things. So it's not that I am to walk through life totally oblivious to this physical world. Uh, no. Uh, I'm to be a good steward of what God has blessed me with. I'm to take care of those things. But my emphasis, my hope, my desire is not on those things. It's upon the things that are spiritual. And so I think it's important to kind of see that. It's not, okay, I'm I'm going to have the mind of a God, so I'm never, ever going to think about anything physical. I don't care. I don't care if the wheels fall off my car. I don't care. Well, no, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, But we need to see what is really the emphasis and what's really important. To borrow from his prayer in John 17 to the Father, it
0: was that his disciples would be in the world, but not of the world, right? We are in this world. We have physical bodies. We have physical concerns. We are to be good citizens. We are to pray for those in authority. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves, to, to watch out for the weak and the helpless and be of help to them. But even by doing that, we are not acting like those who have their
1: minds purely set on earthly selfish things. So, borrowing from your title, another passage came to my mind. The title was The Things of Man and the Things of God – I thought of Matthew 22, and in this setting here, the Pharisees come to Jesus, they plot to trap him, and they ask this question in verse 17, is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? Of course, Caesar was the arch enemy of the Jews. They did not like Caesar. They were looking for the Messiah to come and get rid of Caesar and just be a Jewish nation like David, and so Jesus, realizing that this is a test— He asks for a coin and tells them whose picture is on this coin, whose inscriptions on this. And they said Caesar. Then comes this statement. He says, "Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God." Now let's take that passage and put that into your sermon. There, yeah, yeah. And so, what are the things of Caesar? What are the things of God? And when we talk about the things of Caesar, does that mean God's just absent from those things, or how's all this fit? Yeah, great questions.
0: Um, the key, I think, to understanding the context is Jesus's question in verse twenty: "Whose likeness and inscription is this?" It's it, very, very synonymous with the idea of whose image is on this coin, right? And we know we've got ample evidence. I've got a couple, Roger, you've got a couple of ancient Roman coins where you can see the face of Caesar, right? Just the way that you can see the face of uh, different U.S. presidents on our own coins today. So uh, first of all, this is Caesar's coin, right? And we'll come back to that in just a moment, the things of man. Uh, Let's camp first of all on the things of God, because he says, you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God. Well, if we keep that closely tied to his questions, I bear the image of God. You bear the image of God, just like every single person. And this confrontation, of course, has a context. Uh, We've been reading it in our, our recent daily Bible reading, where Jesus has come into Jerusalem and his authority is immediately challenged. He has just told a series of parables parable of two sons. One does the will of his father, one doesn't. Uh, a parable of a bunch of tenants who uh, take what isn't theirs and refuse to give what is rightfully the the master of the vineyards. Uh, a parable of a wedding feast and people uh, just go about their business and and don't listen to the invitation of the master. His great Overarching point in Matthew 21 and 22 is, I am here. God is walking among you. This temple, it belongs to me. This land, it belongs to me. You belong to me. I am the Lord God Almighty. And they refuse to believe it. They refuse to submit to him. They, they they refuse to believe. And so in that sense, they are not rendering allegiance to God the way that he is calling for. Now, we'll talk about the things of man in just a moment. Anything you'd add to that?
1: Well, yeah. You know, the the idea that God is the creator, God is the almighty, uh, we have this hymn, this is my father's world. Yeah. Uh, We sometimes get the idea, well, it's my house, this is my country, this is my flag, this is me, 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 but no, it belongs to God. And so the idea of rendering to God is, is the idea of recognizing and then acknowledging and then owing whatever that comes with that, the things that are God. So we need to be responsible to God. We need to be prayerful to God. We need to be thankful to God. These are things of God's. And so how easy it is in our culture today saying, well, it's my life. Well, not really. Uh, each day is a gift from God, the book of Psalms says. And so you have been given life by God, and someday your life will end because of God. And so when we look at that that way, there are lots of things, layers and layers of things that we owe to God. We owe our allegiance to him. We owe our reverence to him. Our worship to him, and that's kind of why he's driving up that.
0: Yeah. On the flip side of that, just real quick on on the things of uh, of Caesar. Jesus does not come into Jerusalem and ascend an earthly throne and kick all of the Romans out and, you know, start minting new coins with his image on it. He makes plain just a a few uh, paragraphs down as he's standing before Caesar's governor in Rome, Pilate my kingdom is not of this world. You know, we might remember how Pilate in John chapter 19, just it is boggled by Jesus. And he asks him, don't you know that I have authority to release you or authority to crucify you? And Jesus makes it clear. You would have no authority unless it was given to you. Jesus unashamedly teaches us to be good citizens of whatever authority we are living under on this earth during these temporary kingdoms, but he also unashamedly calls us to realize our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. We are mindful of the things of man. We are good examples in this world. We submit to governing authorities but ultimately, our greatest
1: allegiance belongs to God. And by rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar, that is the will of God. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not like, okay, Caesar has his compartment and God has his compartment and the two never touch. Absolutely not. The idea that when I do what God wants me to do, I'm going to be obeying the government. Paul would say in Romans 13, verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. Those which exist are established by God. So by paying the tax that the Jews were owed there, they were really rendering to God because this is God's design and God's plan. And that that is something that we need to kind of appreciate with that. Well, back to the lesson, because there's lots of lots of rabbits we can chase no here. No doubt. Uh, you talked about early in that lesson, and one of the central points, and something that comes up a lot in our classes and our sermons and our discussions, is this idea of discipleship. Uh, we, that's, a, that's a heavy term we use here oftentimes. And so in that lesson, you talked about Denying yourself. That's a principle of discipleship. If anyone would come after me, Jesus would say in Luke 9, verse 23, he must first deny himself. Well, what does that mean to deny yourself? And and how's that different from someone who may have low self-esteem? Is that is that the same thing? You know, we we think about that uh Winnie the Pooh and O'Eor. You know, Eeyore <laughs> always walked around with his head hung down, the ears dragging in the mud, and he couldn't do anything right. And 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 is that is that the image we should have of of denying
0: myself? No, no. Again, this is a question of balance, right? This is acknowledging with uh, David in the Old Testament. Number one, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. As I look up in the heavens and the stars and the wonder of creation, what is man that you are mindful of him? Uh, no doubt we are created, I mean, page one of the Bible teaches us we are created in God's image, right? We heard Jesus reference the idea of us having a soul. Uh, There is a part of us created in God's own image. And so this is not low self-esteem. This is not being a doormat. Uh, We referenced Matthew 6 earlier. Uh, That's that section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the flower know that if your father takes care of these things how much more he cares about and loves you but this is about following in the footsteps of Jesus right he famously said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 that a disciple is not above his teacher but every disciple when he's fully trained will be like His teacher. And so I would just offer one instance from Jesus's life that encapsulates, I think, what it means to deny myself. We take ourselves back to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus wants one thing, his Father in heaven wants another. Jesus approaches humbly his Father in prayer and says, if at all possible, I am asking that this cup would pass from me, And here's the key. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What's it mean to deny myself? It's to acknowledge I am fearfully and wonderfully made, but I am created to glorify God. And at the foundation of that
1: is submitting my will to his will. I think sometimes looking at the opposite of a word helps you. So if you're not denying, then the opposite of denying is promoting or thinking about or emphasizing. So if I deny myself, who am I promoting? God. Who am I thinking about? God. Who am I emphasizing? God. But if I'm not, if I'm not accelerating in God, then I'm promoting myself and I'm thinking about myself and I'm emphasizing self. And that is just the next-door neighbor to selfishness, and that gets you in all kinds of trouble. So to deny yourself is to put God first. What God says comes before what I think. And so why should I, do I have to hear those eyes in there? How about what God wants you to do? Yeah. And that's that concept we see there. And so one final question I want to ask from our lesson again, there's just lots of things we can talk about. That's a good thing to do, and you don't even have to use our podcast to do that. After a Sunday sermon, you just start chewing on that sermon and start pulling out questions, and it just takes you to all kinds of depths and wonderful Bible studies. But here in Matthew 16, where we began, we have Peter who is rebuking Jesus And Jesus responds by saying, you got your mind set on the things of man, not on God's interests. Here's somebody who is as close to Jesus as he could be, and yet he struggled with keeping his mind on God's interests. So what would be some practical things that you and I can do to help us keep our mind on God's interests? Yeah, I'm just going to speak
0: very personally. I've got to read God's Word in the morning, if I do not begin my day with opening my heart to input from God, uh, my day suffers. I, I suffer. It may not be immediate. It, it may not be exact every single day, but I can tell I've been trying to walk with Jesus long enough that I need to hear from God first thing in the morning to get my mind set. I need to pray. I need to stick close to Jesus through those disciplines, because we know, we we talked about on a recent podcast, the attempt of Peter to try and follow Jesus from a distance not long after this, right? And, and I may not live 2,000 years ago, but there are plenty of disciples who maybe will gather together with other Christians on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, for all intents and purposes, they're really kind of. Following at a distance they 're they're not shining as a light they 're not willing to be different from the world around them they 're not hearing from god they 're not communicating with god they 're not spending time with other disciples, and that is just a recipe for spiritual disaster
1: absolutely, one of the things I do is uh, of course, the Word of God, nothing 's going to take the place of that. you just got to spend time with the Bible. But every night I make a little list of things I need to do tomorrow, yeah. and it's, it's God-centered. Here's somebody that I need to send a card to. Here's somebody I need to call to, tomorrow. Here's somebody I need to write a text to. Here's some, and, and what it is, it puts me right in the middle of the kingdom, and that keeps you getting your mind on the things of God. And so that great lesson, I'd have you go back and listen to it. It will be it'll be helpful for you as you struggle and deal with this world we live in today. The things of man or the things of God. And how to get your mind in the right place. I appreciate you walking
0: back through that with us. And of course, it is Wednesday. We've got a great opportunity to practice what we've been talking about this evening. Roger, as hard as it is to believe, we are in the second quarter of
1: the the year. You've got a brand new auditorium adult class. We do. Uh, Part of discipleship is honoring God. So this quarter, uh, this month particularly, we're going to talk about the concept of what does it mean to honor, and we're going to be a God-honoring disciple. So we're going to just start peeling the layers off of that, looking at several lessons there. In our Building Blocks track of studies
0: for many of our children all the way through one of our adult classes, we're kicking off a brand new month-long series. You haven't missed a thing yet. Lesson one in that little series is... What is love? We're gonna explore all month long. What is love? This world is very, very, very confused about what love really is. And we're gonna explore, Lord willing, this evening, the idea that love doesn't mean you letting me do whatever it is that I want to do. In many ways, we're going to tie it to this idea, Roger, that you just mentioned of honoring God. We would love to see you this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. I've got the opportunity, the privilege of preaching again this coming Sunday morning. We're going to go a little deeper in the Gospels, and we're going to look at the most probably famous thief in all of the world. Lots of people who are familiar with the story of Jesus know that he was crucified between two thieves. And even 2,000 years later, a lot of times in discussions of discipleship and what it means to be reconciled to God, people will ask, well, what about the thief on the cross? What can we learn from him? We'll just open scripture and look together, investigate what we can learn from that thief on the cross. But in the meantime, Roger, I appreciate you joining me today. We so appreciate all of you for listening to this week at Charlestown Road. We're already looking forward to Sunday morning, 930 a.m. We fully believe it will be the best day of the week. We would love to have you come and grow with us.